0: Parenting is a difficult job, am I right? You know, you got long hours, you got zero pay, and the boss can be rather demanding. What's the goal of parenting? You know, for the first two years, we try really hard to get them to, to walk and to talk, and then for the next 16 years, we try really hard to get them to sit down and be quiet. <laughs> How does that work? You know, when my kids hit the teenage years, we got a dog so that at least somebody would be happy to see me. (laughs) What's the goal of parenting? Is it to get them to obey? Is it to get them to a point of self-sufficiency? Is it to get them to a point where we can feel proud? We're teaching through Genesis 37 through 50. Live in the dream. Live in God's dream. It's the story of Joseph. Today, chapter 48. My goal is really pretty simple. is for us to understand what's in Genesis 48. It's not a very familiar passage in the Bible. What's in here and what is God communicating to us through it? And I think as we dig in, we will discover God's purpose for parenting and more. All right, kids, you got your bingo cards? Genesis 48. Here we go. Starts with this, verse 1. Sometime later, Joseph was told, Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. See, Joseph, he knew that this day was coming. He received that dreaded phone call. Your dad, he's not well. We don't think he's going to make it. You need to come. You need to come fast. And if you get here soon enough, you might be able to have a conversation with him before he passes. That's what's happening. Verse 2. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. You know you're not doing well when rallied his strength means sitting up at the side of your bed. Those of you who have been with someone who are in their end days, you know what's going on in this chapter. Joseph and his sons Manasseh and Ephraim, they're circling around Grandpa Jacob's bed to spend one last moment with him. And so I wonder, into this moment, Jacob, he's still able to communicate, what's he going to say? Well, he starts with this. Verse 3, Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples, and I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. You know what that is? When we dig into those verses, here's what that is. that That is Jacob's testimony. See, Loz is another name for the town of Bethel. And at Bethel, Jacob, that's where he met the Lord. At Bethel, Jacob first said these words. Genesis 28, 21. The Lord will be my God up to that point in time Jacob he knew about God and he believed that God existed but it was here at Bethel that he said the Lord he will be my God Bethel that was Jacob's come to Jesus moment and that that changed thing that changed everything for this man in Genesis chapter 48 Jacob he is at the end He's on his deathbed. What's he going to say? Where does he start? He talks about God's role throughout his life. Here, here's what Jacob's doing. He's sharing his God story. Now I have the, the honor to talk with, with quite a few people shortly after a loved one has died. You know, into those moments, I'll I'll often say, well, tell me about your dad or your mom or your, your spouse or this person you love. And there is such a deep meaning when they're able to say, I want to tell you about their faith. I mean, you can't really know my dad without knowing about his faith. You don't really understand my mom until you understand the God that she followed. And they'll tell stories about how they served. Or sometimes there'll be a Bible that they have with them. This was mom. This was dad's Bible. And it's all tattered and used. And there's writing all over it. And it's a deeply meaningful, powerful time. There are other times. Times when it's in a similar moment, you know, families are gathered and they look back over the years and really can't articulate a God story. And I'll hear things like, well, I think they believed in God. Well, they were really nice to people. They, they had, you know, a time years ago, they used to go to, to church, There's an elephant in that room. How about you? When your Genesis chapter 48 comes around, when people gather and they talk about you, what are they going to say? What are they going to talk about? Is it all going to be about your career and your accomplishments and and your trips? Or will anybody be able to say, hey, I want to tell you about their God. I mean, you don't really know that this person until you know about their God. Are you living in a way today that people who are close to you can see God's story in your story? Is following Jesus, is that evident in the way that you are doing life? Because there is going to be a day. We're all going to have a Genesis 48 day when that comes to light. And the question will be, well, what legacy will we live? Let me explain what happens next this way. Throughout the rest of the Bible, we see this. God is often referred to as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. That Jacob, that's this Jacob, same guy. And he's also referred to as Israel because he has 12 sons and his 12 sons become the 12 tribes that comprise the nation of Israel. They're listed by name in the next chapter. I want to go through these with you. There's something kind of significant in here. Judah, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Zebulun, Issachar, Dan, Gad, Asher, Naphtali, Ephraim, Manasseh, Benjamin. Do you notice anything wrong with that? Let me ask it this way. How many tribes is that? I mean, go ahead and count them. It's not 12, it's 13. Did you ever notice every time in the Bible when it lists out the 12 tribes of Israel, it's not 12, it's actually 13. Didn't they know how to count? What do you do with that? And it's not just that. There's something else kind of cool in here. Each one of these tribes is given a name after Jacob's sons. So as you look at that list, here's a question. Who was Jacob's favorite son? It's the guy we've been studying for several weeks. It's Joseph, right? He's the one who becomes the the vice president of all of Egypt. Where's Joseph? Why isn't his name on that list? Have you ever wondered about that? I mean, Joseph, he was one of Jacob's sons. Why isn't there a tribe of Israel named after Joseph? Well, now that you understand that, I think you're ready for what happens next. Next verse is verse 5. Jacob is speaking to his son Joseph. says, Now then, your two sons born to you in Egypt before I came to you here will be reckoned as mine. That's a really cool thing. What happens right here in this chapter, Grandpa Jacob adopts Joseph's sons as his own. So Joseph, his name isn't attached to any of the tribes of Israel because Joseph, he didn't get just one tribe. He got two, Manasseh and Ephraim, two tribes named after the two sons of Joseph. That's called a double portion. And you know what that is? That's the right that in those days was given to the firstborn. But here, it wasn't given to Reuben who was the firstborn. The rights of the firstborn was given to Joseph. Question. Does anybody have a kid or two under the age of six? Because I I want us to observe a moment of silence for these parents. (laughs) Last one they're going to get in a very long time. Well, what happens next in Genesis 48 It's kind of like a moment of silence as Jacob is talking to his son Joseph. He says this, verse 7, As I was returning, he's telling his story that it happened years ago. As I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan while we were still on the way, a little distance from Ephrath. And that seems odd. This happened a long time ago, and Jacob, he's telling his story to his son and to his grandsons. This part, it seems out of place. Why would Jacob bring up his deceased wife, Rachel? Well, here's why. Because Jacob, he's saying to his family that's around him, he's saying, Joseph, I want you to know I loved your mom. I want you to know that. It's important for kids to know that. Parents and grandparents, it's important for kids to know that we love our our spouse. Because the center of the marriage, it really isn't the kids. The center of the marriage, it's designed by God to be the husband and the wife. It's easy to get that flipped around, especially when there's a lot of stuff going on in life. You know, one of the habits that Sarah and I had that was really helpful for us to kind of keep that order straight. We we referred to it as couch time. And what we did every every day after work, we prioritized at least 15 minutes for just the two of us. And we'd sit on the couch and we just talk and we'd share days with each other. And same couch, you know, physical touch. It's meaningful for kids to see that relationship. It's important for us to have a relationship that's not based just on our kids. Because when the nest is empty, are you still going to have a deep, meaningful relationship? I, I recognize that some of you are doing, you know, the hard work of bringing up children without a spouse. Or maybe, you know, you have some steps involved. Or maybe you're sharing custody. Not easy. Thank you. Thank you for what you are doing. Thank you for investing into the life of these kids. Verse 7 continues. Jacob said, So I buried her there beside the road to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. Little foreshadowing here. 1,200 years later, there's going to be another mom who gives birth to a son right there in Bethlehem. There's a lot of cool stuff like that in the Bible that, well, it points, it points us to Jesus. Next verse, verse eight, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, who are these? It's kind of strange. I mean, we see Jacob, his eyes, they must not be what they used to be. I mean, he's in a life stage where he needs a larger font or he needs a longer arm. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. Others of you will get there someday. Well, don't miss how Joseph, how he responds here. Verse 8 and 9, when Israel saw the sons of Joseph, he asked, well, who are these? They're the sons God has given me here, Joseph said to his father. I want to hold here for for a minute because this isn't the response that I would expect Joseph to have. Joseph, he didn't say, well dad, you know who these guys are. He didn't say, well dad, this is Manasseh and this is Ephraim. Well dad, these are your grandsons. He didn't say, hey, well dad, these are my sons. He didn't even say, well dad, these are my boys. Look at what he said. He put it this way, verse 9. They are the sons God has given me. He nowhere in there. He doesn't say, well, these are mine. He said, these are the children that God has entrusted to me. And I think that God is speaking to all of us throughout the generations in this. He is showing us the essence of parents and of children. He's showing us children. They are designed by God as a gift. A gift from God, every single one of them. Is that the way that you view them? Verse 9, they are the sons of God has given to me gifts from God. Now, parents, you might need to remind yourselves of that (laughs) on a daily basis. And there may be some days when you really are interested in learning more about the return policy. (laughs) You're thinking, God, you know, hey, can can I get an exchange over here? This one doesn't seem to be working right. Right remember how God shows us what their role of children is in our lives. He says this, they are the sons God has given to me. They're gifts from God that He's entrusted to us. And someday, God is going to hold us accountable for what we've done with these gifts. You know, Rather than, than ask things like, uh, what, what are my goals for them? Better question would be, well, what's God's plan for them? And how can I help them discover that and get on that? What does God want for them? And how does that inform and shape my parenting? Well, we're going to get there in this chapter. Verse 12. Then Joseph removed them from Israel's knees and bowed down with his face to the ground. Now remember here, Joseph, he's a bigwig. He's the vice president of Egypt. People, He's used to people coming into his presence, bowing down to him. What does he do here? Joseph bows down before his dad. What's going on here? We get the fifth commandment before the fifth commandment was given to Moses. We get the fifth commandment in real life. Honor your father and your mother. If your parents are living... This this is a pretty significant thing to think about. Joseph bows down to, to to his father. Are you honoring them? Are you respecting them? Are you bowing? What would that in your situation, in your context, what would that even look like? Is the Holy Spirit maybe speaking to you in this? Maybe you're thinking, yeah, yeah, I know that, Mike. I know the Ten Commandments. I know the Fifth Commandment. But the reality is, my parents, they didn't honor me. They hurt me, and they abused me, and they belittled me, and to this day, it still hurts. Honor my parents. Why? Well, here's why. Because you are a follower of Jesus. End the pain, end the anger, end the animosity. How? Well, for some, honoring your, your parents starts with forgiving them to forgiving their shortcomings and their inadequacies and their mistakes. Forgive them, not because they deserve it, but because Jesus has forgiven you. Honor them, respect them. That's what Joseph is, is doing in this chapter. What happens next? This is kind of the shocking part of Genesis 48, verse 13. And Joseph took both of them, Ephraim on his right, toward Israel's left hand, and Manasseh on his left, toward Israel's right hand, and brought them close to him. Now understand a little cultural context here. The custom of that day was for a, a blessing to be bestowed from one generation to the next. And the way that that blessing would go was the patriarch would would let the oldest child would get the right hand. That was considered to be the better hand. And then the younger child would get the left hand. Verse 14. But Israel reached out his right hand and put it on Ephraim's head though he was the younger. And crossing his arms, he put his left hand on Manasseh's head, even though Manasseh was the firstborn. Now, it's easy to read past that. This is actually a pretty significant thing that's going on. What happens here is Jacob, they were expecting him to bless this way, to put hands on the kids that were right in front of him. He didn't do that. Rather, he does one of these. He crossed his arms. Crossed arms. Well, that was counter custom and that was backwards and that was off look look what happens verse 17 it continues joseph sees what's going on and when joseph saw his father placing his right hand on ephraim's head he was displeased so he took hold of his father's hand to move it from ephraim's head to manasseh's head See this, imagine this, visualize what's going on here. Jacob, he's blessing his grandkids that he's just adopted to be his own, you know, kids. And Joseph sees he's got his arms crossed. He's blessing them the wrong way. And Joseph says, no, dad, no. Dad, you're doing it wrong. Don't do it that way. Do it this way. Does anybody else? When you see this, anybody else relate to Joseph? Do you have any circumstance in your life where God seems to have his arms crossed? He seems to be doing it the wrong way. He seems to be doing it backwards. And you're thinking, well, God, I'm supposed to have financial margin by now. Well, God, I'm supposed to have a job that I like by now. Well, God, I'm supposed to be healed by now. Or God, I'm not supposed to have this homework by now. Not this much, at least. Got anything like that going on in your life where it's not going the way that you thought or you expected or you planned or you wanted it to go? Feels like God's got his arms crossed and you're thinking, no, God, no, you got it wrong. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be this way. Let me show you how to do it. Verse 18. So Joseph said to him, "No, my father, this one is the firstborn, place your right hand on his head." But his father refused and said, "I know, my son. I know." Jacob saying, "I know. I know what you're expecting." I know what you thought was going to happen here. I know what you wanted to have happen here. I know what your plan is, but I know, Joseph, I know, I know what I'm doing. I've got this. One of the marks of spiritual maturity is accepting God's crossed arms. Being able to say, you know, God, that's not how I would do that. You know, God, that's not how I really want this to to play out, but I put my faith in you. My faith is in you. It's in your way. It's in your will. It's in your plan. Well, Genesis chapter 48 closes with, with this, verse 20. He blessed them that day and said, In your name will Israel pronounce this blessing. May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Do you know what that is? That's the first part of Jacob's blessing. A lot more on that in chapter 49. That's the first part of Jacob's blessing. And that's also the biblical purpose of parenting. I'm going to dig into that phrase a little bit. He said, may God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. That means may your kids be so connected to God that people would say they've got something. A depth, a a purpose, a peace, whatever it is that they've got going on in them, it's life-giving. I want what they've got. See, the, the purpose of parenting and terms of what God has to say and tells us to do everything in our power to influence our children to willingly and joyfully follow Jesus. That's more important than what grade they get. And that's more important than what career they pursue. And that's more important than how well they do in, in a sport or in a music or in an art. Not saying those things are unimportant, but they're not the most important You know, maybe today you can get to the place where you say, you know, objectively, when I pull myself out of all the opportunities and things that are going on, I think I could probably affirm that the most important thing, the thing I want more than anything for my kids is to love and to trust and to follow Jesus. I I I can say that, but how do I do that? Tell me how. Give me the checklist. Cool thing. God actually on this one, I think he does give us a Checklist. Deuteronomy 6 verse 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Here comes the first thing on that checklist. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. He's saying if you want your kids to love and to follow Jesus, there's no guarantees. But if you want that, if you want them to love and to follow Jesus, well, the best thing you can do, it starts with this. Do you love and follow Jesus? Really? Really? The most important thing that you can do as a parent or a grandparent or a future parent or a mentor is to love and grow and pursue in your relationship with God because you can't give what you don't got. You know, your kids, they're going to know if it's real because it will just, it'll leak out. Kids, they have this way of observing our priorities. Not what we say are our priorities, but what we live They see that. That shapes their reality. So it's my hope. You know, as as we move into kind of a new season, as we get into the fall, I hope that each one of you will spend a little time thinking and planning. what, What are my priorities? What do I really want to invest myself into? What kind of legacy do I want to live? You know, we've got the connection guides. They've come out. Stuff will be on the website in the next few weeks. A lot of opportunities coming up. I hope that you'll think, how do these kind of things fit into your life? Are you creating space for community, for other relationships with followers of Jesus? How about youth group? How about kids ministry? How about gathering with other followers of Jesus on a a weekly basis to say, we're going to begin our week this way. We're going to focus on our God together do these kind of things have a central place in your life because it's not just what we say that that kids and others pick up on it's what we do it's how we live our priorities they're not something that are spoken our priorities are really something that are observed as we do life as we live them out Well, here's the rest of it. The checklist continues, uh, verses 6 and 7 in Deuteronomy 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them. When you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. That's God's way of saying every conversation that we have is an opportunity to point to God. The beauty of of creation, we can point to God. A moment of correction, a success or a failure at school, a discussion after watching a show, an observation about the lyrics of a popular song. Maybe your kid comes and says, yeah, well, she does this and he did that. Well, explaining why our values are different than their values. See, God isn't just a a book that we read. God's not just a, a belief or an idea that we have in our heads. He should be something that influences what we believe and how we live. God is saying when it comes to parenting, show them. Show them. Capture every moment to show Him to them. Genesis 48. Jacob, Joseph's dad, he has made a lot of colossal mistakes in his life. Big ones. I mean, this guy, he manipulated his brother. He, he betrayed his, his, his dad. He abandoned his mom. He played favorites with his kids. And now, chapter 48, it, the end of his life is near. And so, friends and family, they're gathering. What are they going to say? What are they going to talk about? What legacy is Jacob going to leave? And here's what we see. His story points them to God's story. I mean, Jacob, this guy was far from perfect, but God was the most important thing in his life. And I think that God through this chapter is asking that of us. What is that for you? When people come, when that day comes, when your Genesis 48 comes, and people come and they gather and they talk and they share, what are they going to talk about? They're going to talk about your, your, your career, your accomplishments, you know, your financial portfolio. But will anyone... Talk about your God. Will anyone say, man, to know him or to know her was to know this God because he pursued God. He, he served God. He didn't do everything right in life, but man, he really loved and put God first. She loved the Lord. She followed This Jesus, what legacy will you leave? Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the director of discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after second service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to to dive into, but then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday, and we just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends, and also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at The Ridge.